Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. And welcome to Don't Miss This. So happy you're here. This is our scripture study um, parade. <laughs> I was trying to think of a funner word. It's the first really came to it my really mind. It really is summertime, a parade. Summertime. I love when it's a parade for the Gospels. You know why? Because it's just like, and here comes the next great story. Here comes the next great story. Yeah, except this is kind of a sadder parade. So. Yeah, it is. This is the sad so part So what's of the, the word for a sad, yeah, the sad part of the parade as yeah. if every parade has a sad well, part. I don't know if it does or not, but this part is This one does. Part. It does. It does. Um, we move through the scriptures week by week. We're getting to the end of the Gospels right now. Um, the ends of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the, all four books conclude with Jesus's um, going to the Garden of Gethsemane, his crucifixion, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That's kind of how. So over the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be looking at. And it's almost like uh, trying to do these in a in a class or on this video is sort of like trying to take a picture of the moon. You know, it just never yes. turns out. Where you're just well, like, and it's it's so big. There's a it's lot. It's so big. There's so much to learn, and also, we just came off of Easter, where a lot of people might have celebrated Holy Week. They might and have read this all. Yeah, and, read the right. whole story, and and you might have done a lot of study in preparation for this lesson several weeks ago which is kind of awesome. But as we were talking about it, we thought rather than tell the story in order of exactly how it went, sometimes for us, we love to take someone's point of view in the story and say, okay, what if you were Peter in the story? What did you learn? What if you were Pilate in the story? What did you learn from that experience? And um, and what we can learn from their experiences, you know, yes. from a, uh, instead of an event Based. Focus. It's a kind of a people-focused yeah. study. Although an event-based would be a great way to teach, um, and you might bring back some of that studies from Holy Week, or if you look on the the church's app thing, whatever it's yes. called, the Come Follow Me. Yeah, the Gospel Library app. Yeah, the, you'll see in the Come Follow Me thing um, questions and scriptures about today in particular what happens in Gethsemane, you know, as, as the Savior walks in. And so as we tell the story... We're talking about the people surrounding these, the, the major the events. events. And you might watch this and think, wait, you didn't even tell about, you know, the, what was actually happening. So that's the underlying story, what is actually happening. And we're just going to focus on some of the people and the, and the lessons. In particular, this week and next week, we're calling critical moments and how people responded to them. It's interesting to see the most central acts in human history are happening and how is it that people are responding to those? And 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 a time to have some self reflection. Like, mm -hmm. Okay, how how would how, man? I I might not ever know, but maybe I could. How would how would I respond in yeah. a similar situation? Which we love. So what we're going to do this week is a little bit different than what we've done previous weeks because usually the work page in the journal, the workbook page, um, is one part of the lesson. And both this week and next week, we are going to be going through this um, worksheet, which is going to take I each... I like that you're showing it on your... 
each little part. <laughs> yeah, why am I doing that? Each little part of the worksheet. But you're going to notice in here that this week's and next week's look almost identical. And if you are um, the teacher that is teaching the two weeks where these meet up, either I, w I should have looked on the calendar because we're uh, um, so far ahead recording. But if I was teaching this, I would teach both pieces together Yeah. Um, to if my class. Like I, that, I would just yeah. go all the way through this whole segment of this is what happened. And just so you have a preview, we're going to talk about the angel and Judas and Malchus and Pilate and Peter. And next week we'll talk about Simon and the women who ministered and the centurion and the criminals on the cross and Joseph and Nicodemus. So we're going to watch this event happen through the eyes of so many people. And these critical moments that lead up to what we refer to as the atonement of Jesus Christ in all of its entirety. But it's so fun to think about in each of those critical moments, how each of those people responded. And, and some of those people are within the, the church at that time. And some of these people are on the periphery of what would have been the church at that time. And it's just so interesting to see how everybody responded in different ways. And then for me, I like to go through and just think, how, how would have I responded? Or actually, when I'm in critical moments in my life, what could I learn from each of these people? So lots of really great introspective moments here. And, and we'll go through them this week on this sheet, and then we're gonna do the exact same thing next week on that sheet. You might wanna combine both lessons if it's your two-week teaching. Okay, let's jump we start? in, number one. Okay, so we're gonna start, and the very first place we are gonna go is, remember we came off of the Last Supper last week, and, and what ha happens after the Last Supper is this um, walk that goes to Gethsemane. And we talked a little bit about that. And, and then you know when we get there, and I'm going to start in Luke 22. Um, let's go to verse 39 is where I want to start. It says, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And one of the things I love about this part is that little phrase that says, as he was wont. Um, that it, this was a familiar place. This was probably a sacred place. It was his solitary place that he went to to pray. Um, it, it was somewhere familiar that he knew he could connect with God. And I love the thought of that, of the, just him going to the place they always went. And it's actually something I've been thinking about the last couple of days where uh, this is the phrase that's bouncing around my head, that if you want to live the life of Jesus, you have to follow the lifestyle of Jesus. Oh, that's so good. And I'm just, I've just been thinking about that, that he actually calls quite, like he's trying, he has these apprentices almost, right? Yes. And he's like, if you want to experience the life I experience, you have to start practicing my lifestyle. And you see one of them right here in verse 39 is that he, he has a pattern. He has yeah. a discipline of yeah. You know, he has a practice of yeah. that place that he was accustomed to. Yeah. And that's where he went. And it's so interesting because it hints toward it in 39. And then again, in verse 40, when he was at the place, like there just was a place where he went. And isn't it cool too, to think that he, like he's about to battle in prayer Yes, and he goes to his 
his his closet, yeah. you know, his sacred place. Like yep. it didn't need to be the Garden of Gethsemane, right? It was he chose that place because it was maybe the place that oh, I've spent so much time here with friends that that's where I want to face this demon. Yeah. I've spent so much, I have so many fond memories of this. That's where I want. That's where I yeah. want to be. You know? Yeah. And it was a place that was probably a little more private. It was yeah. like his own place, which I love the thought of that. And you remember when they get there, he says to the apostles, pray that ye enter not into temptation, which I've always wondered about, particularly when I was um, in high school. I was like, what kind of temptation were they going to run into <laughs> in Gethsemane? You know, that there there wasn't like there was a lot of things that could tempt them or distract them or what kind of trouble were they going to get in, you know, in, in that quiet private place. And as I've grown older, I've realized what that temptation might have been. And I think anyone who has lost a friend or a family member or someone close to you to death, you know how real that fight is to prevent that from happening. Um, that in those last moments and hours and days, just those prayers that you plead of, um, you know, that his will would be, they didn't have to die. And as I've grown older, I'm like, oh, that is so interesting that he would say to Peter and James and John and those who were closest to them, you need to pray that you won't enter into the temptation of not letting me do the work I was actually sent here to do because your first inclination will be to prevent this from happening. And it's the most crucial act of all of mankind is what's about to take place in the next three days. And so don't, don't stop me from doing this. Don't be tempted to not let God's plan be fulfilled in me, which I, in my mind, I'm like, that, that feels so real to me that fight for them to say, why, why does, why does it have to go like this? And we'll feel it from Peter in, yeah. in just a minute. Well, and you feel it from Jesus in the words of his prayer, yes. where he's just like, yeah. I, I take this away from me. Yeah. And, but he sub, there's that battle yeah. of submission. You, yes. you, it's one, like, it's one verse, but you like sense the intensity of how difficult it is to submit to the will of God, which actually is quite um, encouraging mm -hmm. for me to see Jesus. Um, I, I'm not trying to compare any of my experiences to him, but to at least see him struggling to submit yeah. to something that he doesn't want to do. And fill the measure of his creation. Yeah. That, that sometimes what is going to be required for us, that measure of our creation is going to be more than we think we're capable of withstanding. And I love that we get to see that even here, especially because then when we are in that moment that feels too big for us, we can say, well, yeah, he knew what this felt like in his own realm. It tells us he went a stone's cast from the apostles, which I love because instead of someone measuring it, they're like, it was like as far as you could throw a rock. That's about how far away he was from us. It just makes it so like relevant mm -hmm. and familiar and then um, it says the part that you were just talking about. If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And then there's an interesting order of events that happens here that I love. I love the lesson that we learn here because here's what happens. He prays that he won't have to do the hard thing. 
And the next thing that happens is, in verse 43, an angel shows up from heaven to strengthen him. And then, in verse 44, he being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And this is what I love, first of all, about the angel, is the angel actually showed up before the hard thing began. Don't you love the order of that, that thought of um, him saying, I don't want to do this. I realize how hard this is going to be. And if there's any other way, please, can we pick another way? And the answer from God is an angel. Hmm. That's the, that's the response is that angel that comes to strengthen him. And one of the things I love about this angel um, that I had never thought of before until this past year we went to Ober Armagal and had the opportunity to watch the Passion Play. And it's a five-hour play. Um, we talked about it a little bit last week with dinner in the middle. And when you come back, the second scene starts with the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, everyone comes in. We talked about this part. And they sit down and they have that whole thing. But it's really interesting because as all the apostles walk in and you count them and Jesus... There is this one other man who comes in and he just sits at the edge of the stage. And in your mind, you're like, who is that guy? And you don't really know who he is. At the beginning of the whole play, he's the narrator, but then he never shows up again. So then you're just like, in the back of your mind, you're just like, what is that guy doing on the edge of the stage? And then after, and he just sits there for the whole Last Supper. And then after the Last Supper, they stand up to walk to Gethsemane and they file out one by one after Jesus. And then the guy sitting on the edge of the stage stands up and gets in the line. And again, I'm like, I've read this story a million times and I don't remember an unnamed man in the story. And they follow into Gethsemane and this whole part takes place. And again, when they get into Gethsemane, they all kind of circle around and Jesus goes to a spot and, and the man goes back to exactly where he was sitting during the Last Supper. He's just kind of off to the side and just almost like he's witnessing what is happening. And then Jesus tells them to stay awake and he goes off into this uh, corner to pray. And he starts into this prayer. And the most interesting thing happened in the play. Um, When you watch the play, it's in German. And so you don't unless you speak German, which I don't, you don't really know what's going on unless you're reading. And so they've got a book that you hold and you read as you go down and it tells you who's speaking and and what they're doing. And it went through the whole part of um, Jesus telling the apostles and um, that he was going to go over and pray. And as he starts to pray, the man in the corner of the stage stands up and walks to the middle of the stage. And then in my mind, I was like, now I know this is not right because when I imagine Jesus in Gethsemane, it's just Jesus. You know, that's mm. the pictures that we have. And he starts praying and pleading in it. And it is that prayer for us. And all of a sudden, the man starts talking. And he says, For the sake of Israel, my chosen people, I have called you by your name. I place my spirit upon you to free all those that live in darkness from their imprisonment. And immediately I'm like, who is this? And I look in my book, and it's the angel. Um, It's the angel who's come to strengthen him. And and then Jesus says, um, again, just this pleading. And the angel, again, responds, Through you, I will show my glory. 
I will make you the light for the people so that my salvation may reach every corner of the earth. And as Jesus prays and goes through this moment that was so hard for him, the angel stood right above him and whispered scripture in his ears. Those Isaiah verses, you came to heal the broken hearted. You came to release the captive. It, it was like he was speaking over him the mission that he had been sent to perform. And I loved that how he strengthened him in those moments was with words of scripture that reminded him who he was and whose he was in that moment, that shrinking moment that what empowered him, what strengthened him was these words of scriptures. And I love as we think about that angel strengthening him and the lesson that we learned that before the hard thing came, the angel showed up and it just makes me wonder in my own life, should I be watching more carefully mm. for angels? Um, because we see a pattern here of how the father responds to our Gethsemane type moments. And it is with angels that would come and remind us who we are and whose we are and how would they strengthen us with words of scripture. And think about this, how many times in the hardest moments of your life has a scripture just popped into your mind Yeah. or you've turned to a page and, and a verse has stood out and, and we take that and we stick it on our mirror or I'll put it on my fridge sometimes or right next to my sink. It, it is the scripture that strengthens me. And, and when I think about this, I'm like, oh, Maybe that was my angel yeah, whispering those words that would empower and strengthen and remind and give courage. Yeah, it makes me remember that um, old Mormon message, whatever they're called now. Um, P.S. Has anyone made one of those in a long time? I don't but know. But those things. And, and it was Elder Bednar, and he was talking about inspiration coming. And he said, and the example he gave is... Why would God use something different than the words like that your mother had already spoken to you, that he would bring those words? And I think he quotes, the angels speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. That sometimes mm -hmm. when we feel what we would call inspiration or revelation, or a memory is brought back to our minds of words of encouragement or scripture, he's like, those, those are, why would they not be angels? They would, they would feel similar to something. And I, it's, it's actually, I think... Uh, a really cool thing to have a, a theology that's so um, that puts angelic ministry, it, you know, in its in its not in its center, but just yeah. that it's a part of our belief that we we believe in angels and and, and we believe in strength from the other side of of the veil. That's yeah. um, that's powerful to me. Yeah, to think about. Um, and this painting, don't you I love know, that painting love so that much? Painting. It's one of my favorite ones. Um, there in Gethsemane, if you continue the story in Luke 22, um, there, there's something that happens where Judas shows up and he's already left the guard. He left the Last Supper and, and then he comes and he draws near unto Jesus to kiss him. And oh man, every time I read that line, it's like if it was taken out of context, which you want it to be taken out of context, it would be a really beautiful line that he drew near unto Jesus. Yes. And it was just like, oh, that's actually what we want you to do. Judas is drawn near to him, but you're drawing near to him with a different um, motive in mind. And I think it's interesting too, the passion play, and you and I both talked about this, but to watch Judas go through uh, what was happening in his mind. And for like, sometimes I want to be this, 
He was one of the 12. He was his good friend. He was like part of everything that was going on. Why did he do that? And I love that in the Passion Play, it kind of spoke words into what I think a lot of us recognize where um, Judas is saying, um, your great deeds gave us hope that you would restore the kingdom of Israel. But we don't see you doing it. You're not seizing the opportunity. Um, now, all of a sudden, now you're speaking of dying and leaving this, and this isn't right. So I'm going to circumvent. I'm going to try and prevent what's happening. And I loved this line that he said, I'm tired of believing and hoping. Mm. Which was, don't you think that was such an interesting line um, in that part? Well, you know what it does? It's really easy to make Judas a villain in the story and to separate yourself from him entirely. And we don't have enough scriptural context, you know, to, to make any as- assumptions. Yeah. We have to use our imagination here and, and wonder really. So we're in the realm of wondering here, but like I, the, those lines are way more familiar to me than how I normally have, than someone's normally painted the story of Judas yeah. for me, you know, and to read a line like that, it's just like, Oh, same. It's actually a heart-wrenching experience to believe and hope for something and it doesn't happen the way that you want. And that would be a really easy reason, I think, for somebody to walk away from Jesus. Bitter. Yeah, to say like, Mm -hmm. it didn't happen how I thought it was supposed to happen. You're not being who I believe that you were. And... You and know, deliverance isn't coming in the way I, I wanted. Hoped and yeah, and it's and anyways, but he draws near unto Jesus, and and it says he betrays him with a kiss, and G- Jesus even points that out. He's like, you really you you picked a kiss, you know, <laughs> something <laughs> more about that. And then there's this line in forty nine, and I want to compare it to something in John eighteen. It just says this: when they which were about him, and. It seems to be like one group of people, they which were about him. And then if you look in John 18, another version of that story of Judas, it says, um, they, he came and Jesus asks, whom seek he? Um, and they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, is that the same question that Jesus asked at the beginning in John 1? Whom seek he? What seek he? Oh. Whom seek ye is the garden tomb. Yeah, but then also in the very, yeah, very beginning when the I, two is. disciples come and yeah. they say... I'll look it up because um, now we just want to know. When they followed him and he turns and, and he says, he asks them, Yeah, what, what seekest seek thou? Yeah, what, what seek ye? Um, okay, I wonder if John's having fun. There. Um, <laughs> whom seek ye? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And it says, and this is verse 5, John eighteen five, And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And it's so interesting that it's like, why did you decide to stand with that other group of people? Like all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we live in a culture that wants us to be all super independent. And I have come up with all these ideas and thoughts and belief systems on my own. And that's just not true. We all stand with someone. Mm. We all stand with some sort of belief system. And That's so interesting. And so who's winning Right. Who's winning your belief right now? Right. Who are you aligning? Yeah, and no one's aligning with something unique. We want to believe that, especially yeah. up in Portland. We want to believe I'm aligning with something unique and, you know, and it's like that's actually not true. I think we can be intelligent enough to say that's not true, but who why have you decided to stand with 
this belief or with this particular person. And we don't know. We don't know why Judas does that. But it would be interesting to think through, particularly with that line. Like what, you know, am, am, am I, was I betrayed? We say that Judas betrayed Jesus, but Judas might say Jesus betrayed me. And I would want to follow up and say, did he betray you? Or did your idea of what he should be betray you? Which, which of those two maybe happened for you? And I don't know. I do love in the passion play that we saw, and I'm foreseeing this in The Chosen, that I'm actually liking (laughs) Judas a lot, you know, in The Chosen. And I think a different story is being painted here. One of some compassion, particularly you read a line like that and I was like, oh, I see me in him. I, I, I see how that could actually happen. And when we watch that passion play, um, we'll get to this spot of Peter in just a second. That Peter, you know, has a moment of denial. And John, the apostle, comes to him in the play and reminds Peter, you know, wait, wait, you're okay. And did yeah, you did forget you see what the he way taught? He looked and, at you and... Yeah, yeah. And all these like encouraging words. And I sat there and watched it and I thought, wait, how come no one came to Judas? How come no one came to him and reminded him? about who Jesus was and, and what Jesus taught and what it looks like to have a second chance and, and, to, and, and to be okay with, I'm, I'm struggling with things not working out the way that they should be working out and how open Jesus would be to that conversation to say like, well, tell me what you're afraid of. He did it on the boat, right? Lay out your fears, lay out your doubts, lay out your, 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 you know, your concerns. And, and you're why- just making me think right now that would be such a great question to ask someone who's struggling with their faith is, we think about it on the boat right yeah. or in the water but but that really is as you talk to people who are in that faith wrestle is what are you afraid of yeah what are you afraid of from believing yeah what do you want i think first and what are you afraid of both of those what whom yeah. seek you whom seekest thou yeah. Like Jesus asks him maybe the right question. Yes. Who are you actually looking for? What yes. are you looking for here? And I just wish someone was there, you know, to, to ask him. And maybe maybe someone did. I don't know. But when I read it, it makes me yeah. think that. And I think there's a great spot with Judas to really, you know, kind yeah. of think through ourselves. What happens next is so interesting because um, in that story, if you go back to, to Luke, you know, I actually think it's such a funny line in 49. I don't think I've ever read it before. He says, when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? (laughs) (laughs) I just think. It's like they kind of watched like, oh, I think something's about to go down, you know? And and Peter, bless his heart, in Luke 22, you see, and one of them... um, Peter must have edited that or something. Um, and one of them smote the servant of the high priest. And I actually really love, you know, we love, you know, Peter just acts without thinking a lot. <laughs> and I just, he says what he wants to say and does what he wants to do. And I actually really, really like that he's going to come in swinging a sword and he smote off the ear of yeah. the high priest. Which, why servant. didn't he go for the neck or the well, heart? I or... think he was. He just wasn't very good. Remember, <laughs> he's just not super good. Like, He's not very good at fishing. We figured that out. It's just maybe he's just like mediocre. He's just sort of like JV his whole life. You know, he's just like, but I'm going to play with so much passion. 
<laughs> and I think he, like, he's not a fencer. There's no way he's that good. I think he's going for the neck. And it's just like, which is crazy because John puts hundreds of soldiers there. And Peter's going to take on every single one of them by himself, which is actually, like, one of the reasons I really like him. <laughs> you know, and then you just get this. And Jesus answered and said, right after, 51, suffer ye thus far. I looked up other translations in the Bi- other Bibles of that, and one of them is um, "No more of this." Mm. And I really like that line. Um, let them be talking about talking to the disciples about the "Let them be even in this" is another translation mm. I read, and it makes me come back to kind of that Judas story because you, you, you might think to yourself, and then and then it says, "And he touched his ear and he healed him." And what? <laughs> I wonder what story somebody told him about Jesus before they got there. It's like, come with us with sword and torch in hand, and we're going to eliminate a problem. And I wonder what his thought process... Yeah, Malchus, the servant. That's his name is Malchus, the servant whose ear got cut off when Jesus healed him. Like, it's just this like one of all these soldiers, and, and now he has a whole new perspective about who Jesus might be. And and don't you love that little moment where there's like a lot going on and there's a, it's like high emotion from the, all the apostles and from the soldiers and and Judas and everybody's having this moment and the, you know, the high priest people and all of these things that are like conspiring. And Jesus is like, okay, everyone hold on for one second. I just got to fix this guy's ear. You know, yeah, you're just like, (laughs) he's like, pause. Yeah. All right. Go back to what you now, were doing. Take me away. And if you're you know? Malchus, you're what just happened in that little like pause? And yeah, and he so he's gonna have this experience, but it, now it makes me wonder what does Judas think hmm. when he watches it? And he says, I just like would love the camera to zoom in on his face for a second to be like, Oh man, hold on. Oh, it's almost like a reminder. Like I yeah. came for a different kind of healing and a different kind of redemption. Yeah. And anyways, it's it's neat to have experiences with Jesus that leave us wondering. I think that's what we learned from from him. Get let your heart be opened up to see who he is for yourself and then let that have its way in your heart. And I love if you don't have the journal page, but um, are listening as we go through this. It's so fun just to think about eat in those critical moments. The angel strengthens. Judas betrays. Malchus probably wonders now. Yeah. Who is this? You know, and then we get to Pilate and I'm so intrigued by what Pilate does. Um, in this part of the pilot conversation, we get to what we chose for our word of this week, which is king. And it says, Pilot therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. This That's from John 18.37. And I love it in this moment that it's going to be greatest humiliation, greatest pain, you know, all of this 24 hours that is just going to be dark. Um, he still knows who he is and, and it is the king, you know, that came. This is why he was born for this cause. This is his cause. It's us. Yeah. And it's almost like it comes back to that conversation we were having where 
Everyone has a king. Who's yeah. your king? Where do where does your where do your loyalties yeah. lie? And for what reason? And that other conversation of, well, are you a king? And it's almost as if he's saying, like, uh, probably not the kind you think I am. Yes, I am. But of a diff- of a different kind. Yeah. You know, than you think maybe. Yeah, and you love that that word means a leader of the people, a sovereign, distinguished. It's a title of God, a prince, the Lord. And just that thought going in of, of here comes Jesus, who Pilate really doesn't know a lot about, but he's intrigued enough that how he wants to start the conversation is, now, are you a king? Which is such a weird question to ask a criminal. Don't right. you think so? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's where it's going to begin. And I love when you um, think through this story, there are a lot of questions that Pilate asks that are really interesting questions. That being the first, are you a king? He asks him, um, in the Luke 23 version, it tells us um, that Pilate, by the end of the conversation, is willing to release Jesus. And um, he says to the crowd who is just crying out, um, uh, and in my mind, I'm like, is this the same crowd from Palm Sunday? Mm. Is it the same crowd that everyone gathered around and they were like, who is this? And people are like, this is Jesus. And there's that cry of Hosanna and save us and deliver us. And then in this moment, again, there's that crowd who is saying crucify him. What a different cry one week later, you know. And then Pilate asked this question, why? What evil has he done? When we um, teach in... Israel, when we get to Jerusalem, we get to go down these steps into, um, I want to call it Sisters of Zion, but what is the other name? You're right. The, um, the, I, what's the name people recognize, though, that I can't think of right now? Sisters of Zion or the Antonio Fortress. Oh, okay. Um, we go name. down into uh, <laughs> this, down in the basement of what is the Sisters of Zion church or place there. And we teach uh, right there on these stones that are so old. And I love thinking of that conversation. It's fun at the end of a trip to Israel to, to find yourself there in one of those last days because we've been to Galilee. We've been to Capernaum. We've been to uh, Bethesda. We've been to the Pool of Siloam. We've been to all of these places. And I just love thinking when Pilate says, why, what evil has he done to to think yeah what evil has he done and we were sitting in that basement teaching one time and and i had said that you know you think about this past week and you just name me one thing jesus did that you would characterize as evil and i was just gonna let people sit and think for a minute of all the stories we'd heard over the past week and On this particular trip, we had this darling woman who has Down syndrome named Chrissy, and she was sitting right in the very front row. And I would say that any of us who sat in the basement on that trip will never forget this moment because I really was asking the question like figuratively. My thought was you would just have a pondering moment. What? Think back over everything we've learned in the past week. What evil? had he done. And just immediately with fire in her eyes, she said, Jesus Christ is not evil. 
And then she bore the most beautiful witness of Jesus Christ and what he came to do that I probably have ever heard in my life with more passion than I have ever heard in my life. And I remember thinking to myself, where were you on that day? You know, where was the Chrissy in the crowd on this day when he asked what evil had he done? And we're going to take you back to the Passion Play one more time and maybe one day you'll get to go in. If not, you'll have these pictures in your mind. But it's so interesting because when... When they start asking this question, what evil had he done? These are people's answers. I have seen him befriend sinners, tax collectors, and harlots. He actually went to their home and ate with them. And another one said, um, I've heard from reliable people that he talked to pagans. And he even actually stayed with them for days. And someone else said, I saw him performing healings of the sick on the Sabbath, even crippled people on the Sabbath. And, and another says, yes, in fact, he actually commanded someone to carry their bed home on the Sabbath day. And can you imagine sitting in that crowd? Why, what evil has he done? And hearing people listing out healings and teachings and all of these things that in our mind are, are like so touching things that we are like passionate about and having people call those evil, um, in that moment. And I love when you read, I'm going to take you to John now, John 18, um, in verse 29 first, it says, Pilate went out and said, what accusation do you bring against this man is how it's written in John or why, what evil has he done? And then we're going to take you to 32. And there's an interesting turn of events that happens here because, um, then he says, um, as he goes through, um, I think I might have been reading it in Luke. So let me see if I want to take you back there. Um, I do. I'm going to take you back. Oh, no, this is it. I'm going to start in 37 when he says to him, are you a king then? And he says, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. That like what, what you're hearing everybody say, this is my truth. This is what I came to do. And Pilate says to him, but what is truth. And I love that moment when he's going to think for a second about that. And then it tells us that he goes out and he says to the people, I find in him no fault at all. And we wish that's where the story ended. Mm. We, we wish that was the end. That was the conclusion Pilate had come to after all these things. But then there's a critical word in verse 39, but... And it's so interesting that Pilate is going to compromise on truth mm. in that moment. That's what happens is he is going to compromise. And the compromise is you have a custom. So I'm going to actually let you decide. You can pick the most barbaric man in jail right now. Or you can pick this man who heals on the Sabbath, eats with sinners, stays with pagans, um, tells people they can walk again, which would you rather have? And I just think it's so interesting that in that critical moment, um, Pilate's response is to compromise. Mm. Um, that word, but becomes so powerful. Well, and then I just have been thinking, cause you just said a line that made me think like, Oh, I actually really like that part so much because you said, 
He compromised and then let the crowd decide. And I, I think that's a moment in scripture where we read and say, don't let the crowd decide mm. your belief. Like examine the evidence for yourself. Yeah. When he that's looked so at it, good. when he looked at who he was, his conclusion was, I find no fault in him. It's when he let the crowd decide for him yeah. that that the story changes. And it's like, wait, what's been your experience with him? What are the fruits of following his teachings? What what have you seen him do? Like let your own you know, experiences decide and um, help you come up with your conclusions. Yep. The very last person we're going to talk about today is our best guy, Peter. He's back again. <laughs> and here in Luke 22, there's this conversation that happens um, between he and Jesus right before he goes into Gethsemane. And he says to him this, starting in 31, in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, that's so cute when mm. he, there's a double name, yeah. you know? Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And that might be something that is elementary, but I think worth remembering. Yes. There is an opposition. Like we ought to know there is an opposition and he has intentions and he has um, devices and he, and, and, and he has... Because doesn't it say that same thing with Judas too? Once Satan had got a hold of his heart. Yeah, right. And it's like you ought to know living in this world... That there is an evil being who wants to cap take hold of your heart. Like you just ought to know there's an opposition. And then in conjunction with that truth, you should never stop at the end of 31. Mm. And you should go into 32 where Jesus says to him, but I have prayed for you. Um, that your faith fail you not. You should also know that heaven's on your side. And that they're trying to capture your heart. As, as well. And who wants to just think about the Savior praying for you it's, in your it's hardest moments like when a, he's like, I'll, pr- I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Yeah. Makes me, that line becomes so elevated. Sometimes it can be so mm. passe, you know, where, where almost is just like, you're in my thoughts, you're in my prayers. But Jesus, you says it. He says, I will pray for you. Of all things he could do for Peter, he chooses prayer. Which I love, and and I will say this, some people might think it's passe, but for me, when people tell me they are praying for me, it gives me so much strength inside, because I I wanted to say, yeah, oh good, because I need all the prayers I can get. I have felt like that my whole life. Please pray for me, because sometimes there's actually nothing you could do for me that would be more powerful than your prayers for me, but I am a deep believer in the power of prayer. Yeah. And when someone, I, I feel like the first time in my life where I felt like I'd always heard people in church say, like, I felt the strength of your prayers. And I was always like, that's just a nice way of saying thank you until I did. Yeah. And then I remember my friend saying, we were praying for you. And I actually said to him, wait, were you really? Because I legitimately felt the strength yeah. of prayer. And so thank you. If you and it just switched. I don't actually I don't actually say that to anyone anymore unless I actually am. And PS my little trick for that is I just pray on the spot. I do too. That's what I just do. I I'm do just too like, right oh, then. I will I'm just like, do I'm it. gonna add my I'll forget with I'll everybody forget. else who's praying, but I'm just gonna do it right this second. I'm just gonna add my prayers. There is something powerful in the prayers of a lot 
of people. I, I've experienced it too many times to not believe that it's true. Right. So anyways, a side little principle there. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. And then he says this, when you are converted, mm-hmm. strengthen your brethren. And that is a really interesting thing to say to Peter or the Peter we assume that he is. Sometimes I think we take end of life Peter and, yeah. and put him into that story. So we were just talking about trying to find a picture. It was always old Peter in the pictures. And we're like, wait, 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 wait. You're taking like the end of my life, end of his life, Peter, and you're putting him back into that story when he's probably just 25-year-old Peter or whatever yeah. he is at the time. And for Jesus, Jesus says to him, when you're converted, this is after the loaves and fishes. This is after the walking on water. This is after lugging in the nets full that yeah. they were breaking. And Jairus's daughter this being is, raised. Right. And all the teaching. Like, who's had a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ ever right. in the history of the world than Peter? And he says, when, not since you're converted, when you're converted, strengthen your, your brethren. Uh, keep that in mind when you come into this story, which is at the end of Luke 22, which is starts in about 50-something, 54. Peter follows afar off into this, it, when Jesus is arrested and taken into Caiaphas's palace, Peter follows afar off and they had, he's just kind of there in the, in the wings and there's at a fire and he's sitting at a fire and a certain girl in 56 says, looks at him and earnestly looks at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, wait a second. And says, you were also with him. And he says, I, I don't know him. And then another person, I don't know him. And then you remember, you're, you for sure with, with him. Of, I, I, of a truth, this fellow was with him. You know, and, and he says, I don't know what you are talking about. And it says immediately when he spake that, the, the cock crew. And, um, and then it says, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And it's, it's interesting that he has that experience. And if you don't take that previous conversation and remember that previous conversation, we might be really quick to make assumptions and, and judgments about what happens in that. And now we're aware of the, you know, the conversation um, and the idea that President Kimball, mm-hmm. you know, addressed that maybe the Lord asked him to. But I would, I would like to teach this story um, as if that wasn't the case. Okay, yeah. so don't really know for sure. But there is a possibility in here that Peter doesn't actually, that he wasn't commanded to and he just had a weak moment, which if I were to pick between the two of them, it matches better with what the Lord said to him earlier when he said to him, when you're converted, um, strengthen your, your brethren. And this is something that um, Peter experienced and, and it says he, he, he went out and he wept bitterly after that. Now, what's so awesome about this is, well, let me, if you're watching, you can see this picture and it's a picture of a church and at the very, very top of the church, there is a rooster. And the name of this church is St. Peter's Galicantu. And Galicantu is a Latin phrase that means um, the rooster crowed, is what that means. And when we were there last time, and there's in the courtyard is a statue that shows Peter around the fire with three people and that denial scene. And I sat there and I looked at it and I thought, oh my gosh, there is a church 
built and named after this story. And normally a church is built and named after a saint or some miraculous event and, and, or some noble act, and they should be. But there is a church built that's named after and on the spot of and memorializes what some may call Peter's greatest mistake. And I sat there and I thought, I actually want to belong to a church like that. Mm. A church that says, let's put Jesus on the spot of your mistakes. Let's put a community of believers around a person whose faith was weak in a, in a, in a moment of, of doubt and, and hard times. And it has that line where Peter remembers what the Lord said to him about the rooster. But I just want to, what if I took that line out of context? And it says, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And there are a lot of words of the Lord that I would remind Peter of. And hopefully he would remember, particularly what he said to him earlier, where he's just like, there's someone who's coming after you and I'm going to pray for you. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. As if Jesus were saying to him, Peter, you're on a journey. And that journey includes doubt. And that journey includes mistakes. And that journey includes bitter tears. But stay on that journey. It's all part of this. This is, this is not probably your worst moment and tomorrow's not your best moment and you're going to go up and down throughout this journey. Let this moment of your weakness be evidence of actually how much you need a Savior. Let's, let's let it translate into mm. that. You, you, this, you need this. Don't you love that the cross and the rooster, rooster are right are next to each other? Yes, so yeah. much. And um, it's making me think of this when we were talking about this before. David said, why don't they call a prophet like that today? And just as you were talking, I was like, oh, wait a minute. They actually did. And there's probably more than just the one we know. But I've always wondered what that conversation between Jesus and Peter was like afterward, that reconciliation that happened. And we actually get to see that conversation probably what was a very similar conversation in Doctrine and Covenants 3. And I, this is one of the things that I love, that Jesus didn't look at Peter and be like, well, now I have to choose someone else because you're yeah. obviously not capable for the work that I had in mind for you. Never happens. And you remember when the Lord is speaking to Joseph and he says this, behold, how oft have you transgressed the commandments and the laws of God? Um, and have gone in on the persuasions of men. And this is what I love is this pattern that we're starting to see. What the Lord offered to Peter and the church built over Peter's mistake is still true in our dispensation. It hasn't changed. The way he responds to people's doubt and mistakes actually hasn't changed. He doesn't say, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to replace you. Yeah. Because no one is replaceable in God's mind. And I, I love when he says to Joseph, you actually should have been faithful. You should have. And um, But then he says this in 9, which is probably one of the most tender verses to me in the Doctrine and Covenants, when he says this, Behold, thou art Joseph, and thou was chosen to do the work of the Lord. And, um, and then he says, but because of transgression, 
there was this problem, but remember in verse 10, God is merciful. So therefore repent of that which thou hast done, which is contrary to the commandments which I have give you, given you. And then I love this line. And thou art still chosen and art again called to the work. And I love that part of like the Lord doesn't step away from the mistake. He calls Joseph on the mistake just the same way as he called Peter. He says, you're going to do this three times before the cock crows. Like I'm not going to pretend like I don't see the transgression. And we're happy about that. Like the rooster crowing actually was the moment where it was almost as if an angelic voice said, Peter, you made a mistake. Yes. Like we're, I'm actually grateful because what if it didn't crow? Then he never, it was almost as if the spirit pricked his heart. Yeah. And was like, and was like, oh, whoops. This is not the right direction for you. And I I love that thought when he's like, behold, thou art Joseph and thou was chosen. Because don't you imagine him saying that to Peter? Behold, you are Peter and you were chosen for this. Yeah. And, And this transgression does not make you less chosen no. in this moment. And and I just love that little part where he says, you are still chosen and are again called to the work. And how many times is he going to have to pick us up and remind us who we are and what we've come here to do? And I love that thing about, okay, I will again choose you, yeah. right? You, you are going to get past this and we're going to move forward because... What I see in Peter and in this church allows me to also realize there are some moments of my life that have not been my best moments. And I I don't necessarily want someone to memorialize them, (laughs) you know, but I love that we believe in a God who's like, I I believe in second chances and you are again called. And and what's interesting here is his mistakes don't disqualify him from the work of Jesus. In fact, I would almost say they qualify him for it. I almost want to add a word into verse 32 and read it like this. And when thou art converted, and when thou art changed, and when thou art sanctified, you will then be able to strengthen your brethren. Because you'll now have the story and the experience of what the grace of Jesus can actually do. And yeah. you can walk and with you can walk into other people's mistake-filled stories and say, "Listen, I've actually been there before." And he forgave me. And he taught me a better way. And he picked me up and he put me on the path again and he encouraged me to move forward. Yeah, like, and that witness, that personal experience witness becomes such a powerful testimony that you want the missionaries talking about that experience. You want the youth talking about that kind of experience. You you think of the third Nephi experience that they went up and they touched the wounds in his hands and his feet one by one. And, and they had that personal experience with the atonement of Jesus Christ. And then I want to say, and actually so can you. You can have that personal experience with the atonement of Jesus Christ, or I would say with the grace of Jesus Christ that will change you and then testify. Right. I I feel like when I was a missionary, sort of the the vibe was, the instruction was, don't share with people your past sins. And I think there's still some wisdom in that because you don't want it to become the focus of the conversation or the details of 
what I've done wrong, but I think it accidentally turned into kind of whitewash your past and pretend that you never made mistakes and that you never needed forgiveness and that you never you never sinned. But I think it would I think it's so powerful that Peter will stand up in general conference and say to everyone there, like I've I've the Lord had to discipline me. He had to correct me. I've been through that. I've I have sinned. Uh, uh, I've sinned here and 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 since then everybody no no one's written about it because we stopped writing the gospels but <laughs> since then also I have and and I do and and just how powerful of a witness that is because it's a witness of the 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 just the just the for the ability and willingness for Jesus to forgive and to wash clean and to make more holy mm. like that's what it's a witness of it's a it's it's not a it's not a, show, a story about what i you know what i used to be it's a testament of like this i i what was I this and look at what yeah. i became you know like yeah. who do we love most yeah. in the in the scriptures we love peter yeah. and we love paul, paul and we love alma and, and we love alma the younger yes. those are our four best well people. <laughs> and think when paul says by the grace of god i am what i am and not me right but him working in me that's how I became who I am. And we wish we said that more. We wish we could tell our story without shame and just say, he changed me. Yeah. But right. by his grace, I am what I am. I didn't get here of my own merit. I, I, I wasn't, you know, the, the best at anything I ever did. But his grace, which was in me, is what allows me to stand uh, you know, today and testify of him and who he is and hopefully bring others to Christ. That's because he changed me. Right, right. And and in a, and in and it should be most pronounced in this story. It happens in between Gethsemane and the cross. And the, I mean, it happens right in the middle yeah. of all of that. And it's almost as if Jesus would say to Peter and to all of us, it's the very reason I went into Gethsemane. It's the very reason I'm going to the cross. It's the very reason I will come out of the tomb is so that you can be changed. Yep. And this is the church. Yeah. The church is not for perfect people. Right. Right. The, the church is for Peter moments. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's our people today. Part one. And then next week we go into more of the story and five more people that we'll look at also. Have a great week. See you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.